Okay, so um, when I had a chat about restoration, someone who will remain nameless said, that reminds me of Windows Restore. So that was, his, that was the extent of his restoration. Um, how about this image? Would you restore this? If you looked at that, Greg, in a field, would you say, mate, that is for me, and I can, I can bring that back to... You have to look at the moment, motor. You, that would be part of it. Yeah, it would be. Now that is clearly a 1964 Lotus Elan, right? Come on! And and someone, someone decided. I think they got another one. The, the package deal was two and a half thousand dollars. And uh, that part of part of the reason they took on the project was that they were told that if if they could restore it, they could flog it for about a hundred thousand dollars. So they thought there's money to be made, and they started. The process. So uh, the next part of the process was kind of, you know, getting it onto the trailer to take it to their workshop. Um, and then there was just kind of going through. I don't, I don't know what that is. Have we got any people who are car people here? I don't know if that's... I think it's a dead sheep. It's a dead sheep in the car, so they, they got perhaps more than they'd bargained. Yeah, okay. Um, Greg, are you... Mate, do you do the car thing, or is it? What, what, what do you think that is when looking at that? Seat. Looks seat. like the seat. Decomposing seat. Decomposing seat, yeah. I love the look on his face, right? It's like, it's that sense of I think I might have, perhaps this is not the bargain that I hoped it was, that sort of thing. Um, so, elevated it, got under it, inspected just how severe the, uh, the time in the field has been. I kind of pulled it, got, kind of got it, I guess, to some degree. It looks like a car. Again. It looks like a car, I like that. Um, and then sort of compiled a list of parts that would be necessary to restore the car. I'm not going to read all the parts, but small things like rear bumper, you know, top frame, passenger window, radiator seats, dashboard. Cal Chrome Grill, air cleaner, so a lot of parts. And so they, they reached out to the friendly Lotus community uh, and parts began to appear. Um, and that's actually the, like that's actually the engine. So you were talking, Fiona, about the engine. The engine's pretty important. They were able to clean it down and scrub it up quite a bit. Um, so yeah, that's part of the disassembly. They use this soda blasting, which I hadn't heard of as a technique to kind of just get the stuff off, get back to the original metal. Yeah, don't know. Don't don't ask me anything. Thanks. Um, and look at this. That's nice, isn't it? Look at that. That's uh, pretty cool. That's, that's actually a rigid edge back to shiny shiny. Now, they, they apparently did put in some new bits and bobs where it was required, but that's, that's some pretty awesome newness from oldnessness. Um, and then, and I, 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 I skipped through a whole bunch, like this, this post goes, it's, I mean, we're talking, we're talking almost at the five year mark now. So this is, this is many, many, and I commend it to you, it's in an antique car or something like that, and, it's not 
not a regular, regular subscription for me, but um, <laughs> there you go. It will be now. That's a, that is apparently, if you're wondering, and this is probably a core question, what blue is that? Because it looks like, but it's not, it's actually Medici. I mean, they, they might have called it Viva Blue retrospectively, but it was actually Medici Blue, which is just cool, right? Who doesn't want a Medici Blue 1964 Lotus Elan? And uh, that is the happy author, small people. <laughs> It was originally for hobbits. Yep. Um, so that was that was the one of the probably the lead restorer, and uh, th this was show day, and it was it was this whole bunch of other restored antique vehicles on show. They didn't win the prize because apparently there were some Maseratis and Ferraris and stuff, and they just looked more shiny and red. But they loved the process and were very pleased with the outcome. So don't know what his name is, but. He looks happy, doesn't he? Yes? I don't know. Great question. Right? That's good, right? So we're going to read, keep reading from Jijijol. Um, we're going to read from Joel 2, verse 18 through till... Verse 32. And it's kind of, um, it's good to keep the narrative in mind here. It's good to keep clear what's happened and what's coming. So we know last week read a lot about locusts, right? So the nations in the midst of this absolute economic, social catastrophe, everything is going horrifically. And then Joel's popped up and gone, you should pay attention. There's more going on than just your harvest not working. This is a God thing. God's at work in this. And what he's doing in all this is he's calling you back to himself. And so the way to respond when you're, you know, we talked about don't waste your disaster. The way to respond when your life is going a shape of pear that you've never seen before is always assume it's time to turn to God. <laughs> just, just assume that and work out the details later. Um, it's always an opportunity to turn back to God. And, and interestingly enough, this is a whole nation being called back to God. And what we read last week, right towards the end of it, is they actually do it. So the nation comes back to God. They actually get before God and they start going, God, yeah, we're not going to just rend our clothes. We're not going to play stupid religious games. We're going to actually rip our hearts open before you. We're going to remember who you are. We're going to remember who we are to you. And we're going to weep and wail. And we're going to put all our eggs in your basket. And, um, and then the question was, because let's face it, right? Prayer can sometimes feel like, and I don't know if people do this these days, but if you're on the desert island and you're trying to get your message out, what you do is you, everyone knows, right? You write it on the paper, you pop it in a bottle and you push it out to sea and you just hope upon hope that it'll land somewhere. When you're in the, your prayers can feel like the message in the bottle, right? You just kind of send it out and just hope against hope that someone somewhere hears. That's how prayer can feel when you're really under the pump. And, um, and so that's what they're doing. They're, they're doing the under the pump prayer. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if this is going to work, but we've only got, we're just going to put all our eggs in God's basket. We're going to repent. We're going to rend our hearts. We're going to get before God, but who knows what God's going to do. 
Is he hearing at all? We don't know, but we're just going to do that. And so this is the big question, right? When you pray, does God hear at all? It's a real question, right? Because if he doesn't, game over. So they've done it. So they're, they're, they're in their sackcloth, in the itchy, you know, the itchy Hessian stuff. They're weeping. And then what happens? Now this, this translation that NLT says, the Lord will pity his people. In the other translations, NIV, NRSV, it says the Lord pitied his people. So it's saying they, they did this, they got before God, they actually tore their hearts rather than just playing religious games. And God actually responded. Then the Lord will pity his people and jealously guard the honor of his land. So God's like, right, I've heard and I'm, I'm, I'm acting. So God, is, God stepped in and the Lord will reply, look, I'm sending you grain and new wine and olive oil enough to satisfy your needs. These people have been, they're, they're, about, they're, they're going to be about 250 million people stepping into famine over the next couple of months on our planet. Just so you know, there's a global food crisis coming, which I don't know if that's on your radar, but it's coming. That's what the estimate is. Um, so this, this sort of crisis of we have no food is, is something that millions of people on this planet are very familiar with. And this is what these people were living with in Israel. And suddenly God's like, the famine is over. The famine is over. And I'm going to send grain and new wine. I'm sending it. God's not, oh, oh, grain and new wine are going to come. He's like, I'm sending it. Me. It's a shipment from me. I'm doing this for you. And it's going to be enough to satisfy your needs. You're going to move from a place of pain and just want to actually a place of satisfaction. That season is going to pass. And you're not going to be an object of mockery among the surrounding nations. So the shame is, you know, when, when you get that sense of God's not with me, God's abandoned me. Do you know that feeling? Have you been in one of those seasons? And the shame you feel that's accompanied by that abandonment? It's like, and then you look at your neighbor, why is God with Brenton? He's not with me. Why does he have all the stories and I have none? Why has he got all the blessing and I don't have any? And there's a shame that comes in our lives, right? When we feel like God's just abandoned us, like when everything's stripped out. And God's like, I'm going to roll off that shame. That shame is going. So that's part of how God restores us. Like, you know, this is the thing. Like if you, you could almost have a little parts list that God's going through. He's like, I'm not just going to restore you physically. I'm going to take away that shame that you're carrying. I know I'm going to do the whole thing for you. Your whole life and your whole person is going to be restored. I will drive away these enemies from the north. I will send them into the parched wastelands. Those in the front will be driven into the Dead Sea. Those at the rear into the Mediterranean. The stench of their rotting bodies will rise over the land. So basically, I'm going I'm to give you safety. I'm going to give you satisfaction. I'm going to give you safety. You're not going to feel afraid. Your enemies are going to be driven back. The thing that is oppressing you and, and keeping you up at night, that, that fear that, is, that, that gives you no rest, that's going to go. That fear will go and you'll be at peace in your heart in a way that you've never been before. Surely the Lord has done great things. Don't be afraid, my people. Be glad now and rejoice. The Lord has done great things. Don't be afraid. You see that the don't be afraid thing is coming on, right? Don't be afraid, you animals of the field, for the wilderness pastures will soon be green. The trees will again be filled with fruit 
Fig trees and grapevines will be loaded down once more. Your veggie patch is going to look amazing. And, and God's saying, I'm restoring the whole land. So I don't just care about your spiritual state or something. He's like, I want the whole thing restored. And so even the animals are going to be stoked that they're in the place where God is. It's a beautiful picture of the whole of life being restored. So rejoice, you people of Jerusalem. Rejoice in the Lord your God. Your God, the Lord, your God. He's your God. He's not that person's God. He's your God. That's the core rejoicing. Rejoice in that. The Lord is your God. You have a God who has your back. Rejoice in that. Right? That's what, that's what he's saying, right? Um, for the rains he, he sends demonstrates his faithfulness. If it's too much, anyway. <laughs> Once more, the autumn rains will come, as well as the rains of spring. So they had that in that part of the world. Like, you know that the summers in that part of the world in near, near, near east, like, they're just dry as all get out, right? And so you, you, there's no rain ever. Uh, and, uh, but you do get the spring rain and the autumn rains. And when, they, when you get them both, like, wow, it's good. You know that you're just going to have a great, har- great crop, great harvest. Like, it's, it's, it's like it, you will get the rain exactly when you need it and not when you don't need it. Like, summer rains is going to spoil everything, right? So it's like God's like, no, I got the... I got the rain sorted for you. The threshing floor will again be piled high with grain and the presses will overflow with new wine and olive oil. And the Lord says, I will, and this, this, is, this is really important. This is really important. It's, so I put it up there. The Lord says, I will give you back what you lost. He's not saying, get over it, change perspective. You didn't lose anything, it was fine. Do you know what I mean? He's not saying that to you. He's saying, I saw your pain. You lost a lot. I know. I will give you back what you lost to the swarming locusts, the hopping locusts, the stripping locusts, and the cutting locusts. So that's the picture of that total devastation. And then he says, it was I who sent this great destroying army against you. So he's like, you lost a lot? And guess what? It was me. Oof. That's pretty full on, right? It's like, aren't you my dad? Aren't you the one that does good in my life? Well, how could you send a plague of locusts that has destroyed our land? How could you do that? And that is one of those things as a follower of Jesus that we learn, isn't it? That God brings these different seasons into our lives, and some of them are incredibly difficult. And they are genuine suffering. So notice that God doesn't say, oh, oh, you haven't lost anything. Just, you're fine, Joe. <laughs> it, was, it was fine. <laughs> Forget about it. It's like, no, I, I know. But I caused it. So, oh, that's, that's really hard in the relationship. <laughs> do you hear that, right? What are you doing? And, you know, and if, you've, if you've walked with God for a while, you'll know that God does allow stuff in your life that is so painful, that, is, that feels so stripping. But... Somewhere in this, God is actually saying, I own it, and I haven't violated my love for you in allowing this to come into your life. And there's a reason for that. Because it's through this, through the, remember last week, the the megaphone, through the pain and the profit, that God actually restores us back to himself when we've been wandering. So, okay. um, So, once again... Oh, where, where are we up to? Yep. Yeah, once again, you will have all the food you want and you'll praise the Lord, your God, who does those miracles for you. Never again will my people be disgraced. Then you will know that I'm among my people, Israel, that I am the Lord, your God, and there is no other. And never again will my people be disgraced. So that's, that's just absolutely awesome, right? Can you imagine hearing this? It's like, wow, 
It's like this whole season you're in, this whole season of like, it's just, it's just infertility, right? It's like nothing's working. It's like crush. And God's just coming and going, that's all, it's all going to change. There's going to be abundance. There's going to be, there's going to be harvest. Beautiful, good things <laughs> right from my hand are coming into your life. And if I was a good pastor, I'd declare that over all of you. And, but I'm not going to know. I have no idea what God's doing in your life. But I'm just saying he's faithful and you can trust him. Um, so the question is then, how does he restore? If God does this restoration, right? If we see this as a picture, God's come to Israel. He's like, I'm going to restore you completely. What does he do? How does he do it? Is it search and rescue? Is it a trailer? Um, is it a workshop? Is it sandpaper? Is it an oil change? Is it spare parts? Or is it something a bit different? And I think this is just a little bit of a process map that I've kind of plugged in here. Um, if it goes left to right, right? This is kind of what we're, what we're seeing. It's not the whole message of Joel, but I think you can sort of see this here, right? He wakes us up. Pain and profits are his megaphone, right? He comes into our lives. We're, 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 we're doing our thing, and then everything goes whack. Um, and God comes in, and he starts... He starts just re, wow, we, and it feels like waking up. It's like, God, you know when you hear that talk or you read that thing, and you go, what have I been doing? I'm supposed to be a follower of Jesus. Like, how did, where, how did my head and my heart get there? That's kind of that moment, right? But it can be pretty significant as well. It can look like a breakdown, right? I mean, you know, we, a lot of us, have, we've been there, right? <laughs> like when you really hit low and God actually comes to you and goes, I'm in this. I just, I'm just, come on, come back. And uh, so he calls us together to return to our Father. Um, and then we, when we finally cry out, and this is what we're reading today, God has mercy on us and, and responds. And that's the great hope of today, right? He actually hears and responds. And he blesses us with his presence and his spirit. And you may have gone through those seasons where you've just, where you've been kind of numb, I'm okay, okay. Then you hit a really hard patch and then you go, wow, things with God were not okay. When I look on my rear vision mirror, what, what was I doing? <laughs> and then you come back and you go, Jesus, and you kind of fall on your face again, right? And you do the whole thing. And then the sweetness of God's presence when you've surrendered again to him. Do you know that feeling? When you've taken your hands off all the stuff again and you just like, God. And he just comes to you in his presence. And, and, it's, and this is, what, this is the, the restoration that he works in our lives. It's his presence. It's himself coming into our lives where we go. And there's something, it, he just transforms us through us being with him. Does that make sense? You know how like if you've got a bunch of colleagues who are <laughs> perhaps not Jesus followers and you spend... 95% of your time with them and they swear like sailors. <laughs> um, that rubs off on you, does it not? We're just, we're just shaped by the people we spend time with, right? It's just how we are. And so when we come into God's presence and we, we, we feel again the sense of God's presence and we're actually, we're with God, being with God starts to transform us again. And we begin to feel that sense of the damage being restored. Like those places that are damaged and hollowed out. And for anyone else, they'd look at that part of your life and go, right off. 
not getting that out of the pipe. Like, leave that one. Let's go onto the new car. And let's just go pick up one of those Hyundai's and get on with our lives. <laughs> but God's like, no, I see it. I see it. I see the 1964 Lotus Elan. I see it. What do you mean you can't? It's, it's rust. It's crap. God's like, I see it. I see it, and I'm going to take the time, the stupendous amount of time and care to restore. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. He's actually, I'm, I, that's what I want you to understand. Like, I don't know, was, is anyone an avid restorer here? Does anyone like to restore things? So none of us really understand God. Like we need to understand that God is really, really committed to restoration. Like deeply committed to it. And you've probably met people who are restorers, right? Like you're probably in your, in your, in your wanderings with people. And they look at, they look at like we have, you know, like, like, they'll, like you know when those council pick up sort of thing, they, they, people are <laughs> and they're just like, damn, that, that rocking chair. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and you look at it, it's snapped and someone's going, all right, thank you, council, take it. And the other person's like, what a beautiful chair. What do you mean it's a beautiful chair? It's a broken piece of... It's a beautiful chair. And when God looks at your life, He doesn't look at your life the way that I look at your life, whether your friends look at your life or the way that you look at your life. He looks at you. And He wants to, he wants to, he wants to restore. Like, that's what He does. It's true. Like, it just is. That's, that's just who He is. Like, so you don't, you, don't, you don't get to say, I don't get to say, we don't get to say that we're beyond God's restoration. It's not, we don't, we don't have that sort of, we're not, that's, not, that's not our pay grade. We don't get to say. God gets to say what he wants to restore. That's his prerogative. It's up to him. And when he says and looks at your life and says, I want to restore you, and you say, oh, well, you can't. <laughs> you don't know me. Oh, well, you don't know God. He is very happy to do the soda blasting. He's very happy to go and get the, all the tools he needs. He's very happy to spend five years in the workshop, 65 years in the workshop if he needs to. Um, as long as he wants to restore. And uh, that's the gospel, right? That's the good news. The religious news is you're stuffed, go and fix yourself and come back. The gospel is God is a restorer. And just come to God. Isn't that fun? Isn't that fun? It's like, okay, now you've got your car, what are you going to do with it? And God's like, I'm going to drive it. And it's like, well, you're going to need some fuel in the tank. Funny you should mention that. Then afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. This is wild. Never been done before. Never even been imagined before. So this is, this is no one's ever imagined this in the history of anything, okay? Just when, when these words come out of Joel, no one's ever imagined this. It's never been, it's never been talked about in the Old Testament. It's never been part of anything. It's like, <laughs> Okay, God's, and he said, then afterwards I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. 
and I should read the rest of it because it's important, so let's keep going. I don't have it all there. Um, in those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike, and I will cause wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will become like blood red before the great and terrible day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For some on Mount Zion in Jerusalem will escape, just as the Lord has said, these will be among the survivors whom the Lord has called. Now, in the Hebrew Bible, apparently that, that little section gets its own chapter. It's so important. And the book hinges on that. And we're going to talk more about that next week. Um, because you might, you might go, okay, so oh yeah, why does God decide to pour out his spirit so abundantly? That's our question for next week. So don't, you know, don't stress it. But basically, um, the rest of the book unpacks what was just said in really brief form there. So we're going to talk more about it. Because I know there's a lot of stuff there. You're the day of the Lord's like, what does that mean? And like, whoa, 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 whoa. But for t today, I just want you to focus on this, that restoration is only the beginning. And that God wants to fill us with his fuel and take us for a drive. That's what he wants to do. And that's for us and that's for you. Like it's for both, right? Is to fill us with his fuel and take us for a drive. And he really does. And, and, there's, and, and, and that's the restoration. Because when you hear that message, and you, if you've been through the ringer, you'll be like, I'm out. <laughs> that's great for those young people who haven't had, been through what I've been through. But the message is restoration, then drive. There isn't any I'm out too hard basket. God doesn't have a too hard basket. Okay? That should be good news. <laughs> should be. Okay, so there's some questions to think about. Have you experienced God's restoration? And if you have, go back to that place and tap into that faith again and go, yes, God, I know this. I know you do this. Are there places in your life or in your community where you long for restoration? What part of the process that we witness in Joel do you find most challenging? And do you, or do you sense, sorry, do you sense God calling you to take a particular step? What is it? And how can we support you in taking that step? Uh, it's too many questions, obviously, but there it is. Um, we just thank you you're here. I just want to stand up and just, you know, I'll, I'll sing or...